briefly mentioned earlier, especially if you are visiting with us, I'm happy to see my, my fellow members' faces and regular attenders, but especially if you're visiting, we're so glad to have you, and we do hope that you will truly feel most welcome this morning, and we welcome you. I, ha- I asked my brother Brad to read that passage. Again, that was from the end of Matthew chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 38 through the end of the chapter. That will be a passage that we reference today. And so I asked him to read that so that when we come back later and briefly reference it, and hopefully we'll see how it, how it all goes together. Well, as I say often, I've already mentioned the emails. If you want to be on the email list, uh, you just if you could just simply jot down your name and your email address on a piece of paper, and we'll gladly get you on that. I mentioned yesterday the title of the sermon. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, but let me tell you what the game plan is this morning. It's very simple. Let me tell you what I want to do before we pray. I want to, number one, first of all, I want to introduce you to a key text. The First of all, just merely introduce it. And then, after that, we want to notice, which will be our first main point, there will be two points. The first main point will be uh, the title of the sermon, which is Proverbs and the Supreme Court. And then the second main heading will be Abortion and the Sanctity of Life in the Bible. And that's when we'll come back primarily to that key text that we'll read in just a moment. Let's pray together, and would you join me in prayer, and could we also intentionally take a brief moment of silence? And let's make use of that. You can pray silently, and then I'll lead us. Oh, Lord God, you are great. Your strength is perfected in our weakness. We want to embrace that truth. Lord Jesus, you have told us in John 15 that apart from you, we can do nothing. You are the vine. We are the branches. And we want to embrace that truth. We have, I trust, enjoyed worshiping you already this morning. We do not want to stop worshiping you now. We remind ourselves again of how we opened there in Colossians. This great new covenant redemption that we have in Christ. And then as we read the Ten Commandments together, your law through Moses for the people of Israel 
and these came in light of your Old Testament redemption, your Old Covenant redemption, which, of course, really happened, which is true history. The, the exodus out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the miracles, the salvation, the redemption. But even though that was a reality, as sure as we're sitting here today, it is, it's almost as though it is a faint picture compared to the redemption that we have in Christ. We thank you for the story of bringing your people out of bondage, we might say back then. We thank you for the supreme work of Jesus Christ. For the supreme bringing out of slavery. Lord, it is one thing, it is one thing to be brought out of slavery under the hand of the Egyptians. It is altogether a greater thing to be rescued from the slavery to Satan and to ourselves and to this world to sin. We find ourselves free bond servants of Christ, and we thank you for his greater redemption through the cross. Help us to see that you give us pictures in the Old Testament which point to the great realities of our Lord Jesus. How foolish we would be, O Lord, to make light or to forget or to not heartily rejoice in your salvation. You are the God of salvation. Would you save this morning? Would you save by your mighty hand and sanctify? Help us, Lord. This is a Maybe in one sense, a tough sermon. Oh, would you help us now through the Holy Spirit? Help us, we pray. Amen. Friends, I need your help this morning. And when I say I need your help, I need you to be ready to navigate only just to two passages, okay? Only to two passages. They're both, uh, they're both 21s. So it's going to be Proverbs 21 and Exodus 21. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word, Exodus 21, first, first Exodus 21, and please keep your place here as well. I just want to merely introduce it for now. Exodus 21, keep your place here, verses 22 through 25. Notice what it says in Exodus 21, verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. 
Again, I'll say what Brad said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You could be seated. Thank you. Uh, Denny Burke's got a little section called What's Next for Pro-Lifers? What's next for pro-lifers? And, and in that section, Burke says this. He says, and he was writing, I think, the day, uh, the day that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. So several weeks ago, of course. He says this, the pro-life cause doesn't end today. Today is Normandy, not Berlin, which means that today's victory is the beginning of a long struggle ahead. The Supreme Court's decision that says that abortion regulation is a matter that properly belongs to the people through their elected legislatures. Eighteen states already have trigger laws in place that immediately go into effect to restrict abortion now that Roe is overturned. But in many states, it will still be legal to kill human beings in the womb. That means that pro-lifers have their work cut out for them. You hear what he's saying, right? After 49 years of hard work and today's hard-won victory, the pro-life movement is only just getting started. We will keep going until every life from conception to natural death, is protected in law. Again, that's Denny Burke, what's next for pro-lifers? You understand, of course, what he's saying. He said in that memorable uh, use of language, today is Normandy and not Berlin. I think Denny Burke would agree very much with what I'm about to say. I very much embrace his posture here. I think he's right, in other words, that in many ways, the work has just begun. Uh, if, if you're here this morning, like me, uh, what could be called a pro-life. If you're not and you're here, we're glad you're here. I want to say some, some things that I, I trust we will all listen carefully and all test it according to the Word of God, right? Test it according to the Word of God. I don't think he would disagree with what I'm about to say, and that is not only, I think, June 24th, not only was it June 24th, but I would say still today, it is a time of celebration. It is a time of party. I give you permission, even uh, as we're coming up on a month after, to go to your neighborhood today, to go out in the street and just go, woo! (laughs) It is... You can have both. I of course you can have both. You can have Denny Burke. The work is just getting started. And you can have, man, man, there's, there's something wrong if you don't stop and, and celebrate, marvel, give thanks. I told you the plan of action. I told you it was basically three things. We wanted to introduce the key text, which we've done that in Exodus 21. Let's get to the two headings proper. Heading number one, Proverbs and the Supreme Court. Proverbs and the Supreme Court. So you could go ahead and if you like, make your way to Proverbs 21. We've got two 
21s, as I say. Two 21s. Two headings. First heading, Proverbs and the Supreme Court. Now, let's not take for granted. Let's just uh, think about the facts of what just happened. And maybe it would be a good time for me to go ahead and say, just in case, you know, anybody, you know, you may, you may have so far, like, just totally love what I'm saying or something. You may think, but, but is this okay? You know, is this mingling church and state or something like that? And let me just say, I've said this before, understood correctly, Christianity is inherently political. What we are not, what this church is not, we are not political in a partisan way. So we have voting here. Voting takes place at our facility. And those come, those come to our facility and they vote for two different parties. And they vote for different candidates. That's fine. And on that day, signs are put up in our yard for different candidates. And if the people don't come and take, take up their signs later that day, I'm ripping them up. Because this church and Christianity is not political in a partisan way, which is to say uh, we don't do partisan politics. Now, we do as citizens. We do. And unfortunately, our country does on this issue. And unfortunately, the platforms of the two parties in some ways could not be more different. But Christianity, rightly understood, is inherently political. So the ancient cry was that Caesar is Lord. And what we don't do is we don't say, okay, Caesar is Lord, but can we have our private, can we meet privately? Can we do our private? No, we say in a, in a political type of way, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Our allegiance is to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remember just the basic facts of what happened. The U.S. Supreme Court on Friday, uh, June 24th, overturned the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that recognized women's constitutional right to abortion. I'm just going to read this as is. This is from Reuters, and already, if you're listening closely, it makes me mad. Okay, A decision condemned by President Joe Biden that will dramatically change life for millions of women in America and exacerbate growing tensions Sorry, I'm going through puberty here. And exacerbate growing tensions in a deeply polarized country. Continuing with the reporting from Reuters here. The court, in a 6-3 to three ruling powered by its conservative majority, upheld a Republican-backed Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The vote was 5-4 to four to overturn Roe with conservative Chief Justice John Roberts writing separately to say he would have upheld the Mississippi law without taking the additional step of erasing the Roe precedent altogether. The title of the article that I just read to you, the title is U.S. Supreme Court Overturns Roe v. Wade Ends Constitutional Right to Abortion. However, I would remind you of what the Supreme Court itself said. Listen to these words, held held the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled. 
and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Proverbs and the Supreme Court. I learned of a verse. I think it was the day of. I learned of a verse in Proverbs that I thought, wow. As this was unfolding, I thought, man, this really, in a sense, says it all. And I want to share it with you. And it's verse 15 of Proverbs 21. Verse 15 of Proverbs 21. Would you look at that with me? Under our first heading, Proverbs and the Supreme Court. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. I don't know how that strikes you. On the day of, when I learned of this verse, as I say, I thought, wow, that's, what's, what's the word that you use? That's apropos, apropos. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, it's terror to the... You, you get the drift of that verse, right? I don't have to uh, exegete that verse. You get the drift just by seeing it, right? Listen, true justice, true justice has a dividing effect. There's no neutrality. Justice, justice leads either to gnashing of teeth or to God-honoring, celebrating in the streets. Do you see? True justice has a dividing effect. It leads either to gnashing of teeth or to God-honoring, celebrating in the streets. Look at the verse again. Maybe it would help to illustrate this verse. And I will do so uh, about something that just happened to us. So we were, as you know, we were just on vacation and we stopped on the way to our northeast vacation um, in Christie's home state of Pennsylvania. Our ultimate destination was Maine and we stopped over for a couple of days in Boston. So we were driving from Pennsylvania to Boston and uh, it was Friday. It was the day of the Supreme Court ruling. And we were on the outskirts of New York City. And then the message pops up on the phone, on our phones as we're driving, as the Apple News pops up, and it gives the message. And it almost brings tears to your eyes. And our whole family's in the van. And I remember distinctly we were right near a sign for the Bronx Zoo at that point in our journey. And it just so happened that we were... Um, that we were on our way to Boston and trying to get there well before five o'clock so we could take in a few things. And so we went, we got to Boston maybe at two or two thirty. We we parked in a parking garage near downtown Boston that cost me way more than five dollars. I'll just say it like that. It was absolutely ridiculous. So we want to remember the Gunters and maybe send them some money. Uh, it was but you gotta you gotta do that because you want to go see these things. And of course, we are there in downtown Boston, and we're driving there, and we've told our children, hey, 
you know, it's Pride Month, and uh, and then we've got this news, and we and we've just told them, not expecting that they were going to get the lesson that they ended up getting. Uh, we still forewarned them. We'll see some maybe interesting things here. Uh, well, there we were at the state capitol. It was in the afternoon, and uh, there was a small gathering of protesters at the state capitol, and news outlets were there. And uh, so we went and did our thing and did various things. And then walking back to our car later in the day, uh, there had been more time for protests to be organized. And so please hear me. I do not share this. It's not even that, uh, it's not a dramatic story. I certainly don't share it as any type of martyr or anything like that. But as, as more hours passed and more time had been allowed for there to be uh, formal protests, we were walking back to our car, and there's maybe, I don't know, a, a line of 800 mostly women uh, protesting. Again, it's the day of. And we, uh, my wife and I, my family, were so exuberant and so deeply troubled by this protest. And we're just getting to the parking garage, and, uh, and they're protesting, and I can't but lift my voice and say, choose life. And uh, one lady decides to start pouring water on me and to, and to pour water a little bit on Christy as well. And uh, she decides in a, in a minute, that wasn't enough. I'll, I'll pour some more water on you. And as I say, my children received a lesson that we, we didn't talk about that lesson in the car on the way there. We were talking about, you know, it's Boston. It's Bo- I like Boston. I've been to Boston before, before I had kids. I like it. It's great. It's great. But it's Boston, and it's Pride Month, and it's all these things. And and so we kept going to our car, and as we kept going to our car, the we encountered a different part of the line of 800 or, I don't know, 1,200 women, and they were chanting, and we were exuberant, and we were also deeply distressed, and they were chanting something like, what do we want? And I'm sure it was something like, keep your hands off of our bodies or something like, and they were saying, what do we want? And I was yelling basically at the top of my lungs, life, life. We were not as close to the line at that point. I told my children, the Bible teaches that all of us, Jesus says, can have anger in our hearts such that maybe if those people had had guns, we could all be so angry at certain points, maybe they would have freely unloaded on me um, as we all need to beware of anger. I think it imperfectly, and again, I share that not in any way as any type of of martyr or anything like that. The Bible does say to speak up for those who don't have a voice, to give your voice for those who have no voice. Look at it again. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. It's been said that those who are In our nation right now, it's been said that those who are very much for abortion, the word that's been used is that they are apoplectic. They are are absolutely beside themselves. Conversely, I think it might be wrong in this particular instance if we were not absolutely beside of ourselves with joy. With joy. You could isolate some words in Proverbs 21.15, if we were to isolate some words there, you might, I might isolate the word righteous. Notice this with me. When justice is done, it is a joy to who? It is a joy to the righteous. 
Well, how do we understand certain things? What's a good way to give a positive definition to certain words? Sometimes a good way to define a certain word is to look at its opposite or to say what it's not. And so in this verse, just in the compass of one verse, you see that righteous could be defined, first of all, as set into opposition to its negative or set in opposition to its opposite. Look at it with me. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to who? To evildoers. To evildoers. Now let me be clear. Listen to the gospel. When Proverbs 21, 15 says it's terror to the evildoers, such were all of us. So you cannot be an evildoer habitually and be a Christian. To be a, a habitual evildoer, Proverbs 21, 15, and to claim to be a Christian is incompatible. To walk in the ways of to walk in the ways of wickedness is not compatible with saying I'm a Christ follower. It does not mean Christians don't sin. Exhibit A, ask my wife. But we must remember, listen, Titus 3. You don't have to turn there, but there's not many places that give the gospel as succinctly and clearly as Titus 3. Listen, my brother and sister in Christ, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. Let's not get on the high horse. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, listen to the gospel, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. By the way, for your sake of your notes, this is Titus 3, 3 through 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can be an adopted child of God through Jesus Christ. You can, be, you can have Jesus as your wisdom. You can have Jesus as your wisdom and the book of Proverbs. And you can see how it leads you to Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. I would remind you of Titus 3. And I'm just going to read a portion of that again. Just listen. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, there's no amount of abortion clinics that you can stand outside and counsel women. There's no amount of good works that you can do. There is a work. It is the work of Christ. It's the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. And never forget, Christian, never forget the prequel to the gospel. Never forget what prepares for the good news, and that is the bad news. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. We cannot take any credit for ourselves. Proverbs 21, 15 does speak of the righteous. I'm not a big fan of those who say, well, we, don't, we shouldn't talk that way today as Christians because we know that it's not our righteousness and we know that it's Jesus Christ's righteousness. And I guess, I guess they could talk that way back then, but 
We shouldn't call ourselves righteous. That's, no, I'm not a big fan of that. The Bible says the righteous and the wicked, and there is a difference. It is absolutely through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's only through his righteousness. But it says here, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Can I just point out one or two things before we leave Proverbs 21? I want to leave it in just a minute, but would you look at the text? Look at Proverbs 21, verse 18. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. Proverbs 21, 18. Do you see what it says there? The wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. It was pointed out. This is awesome. In the book of Esther, I won't go into it, but the story of Mordecai and Haman illustrates this verse. Like a wicked man devises a very precise way to kill a righteous man. And then because God is God, God sees to it that the wicked man gets the plan that he had for the righteous man. But do you know what the gospel says? If you look at Proverbs 21, 18, you know what the gospel says? It says that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the ransom for the wicked. Wow. Oh, do you see it? No, no. The ransom for the wicked is the righteous, according to the gospel, because of verse 12. Proverbs 21, 12. The righteous one, is that caps in your Bible? Righteous, capital R, one, capital O. Observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Is that true? Of course that's true. You can take that to the bank. We're also thankful that the Bible teaches that God, listen, justifies the wicked. You see, the gospel even here, it's, it's, it's pointed to at least. At least in some way it's pointed to by verse 12. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. There's no hope for the wicked except for the fact that God justifies the wicked. He declares righteous the wicked, the sinners. Sinners declared righteous through Jesus Christ and listen, through faith alone. Through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's Jesus only. Is he your salvation? Proverbs and the Supreme Court. I told you there's two 21s. Exodus 21. Heading number two of two headings. Abortion and the sanctity of life in the Bible. Or let me expand that and say abortion and the sanctity of all human life in the Bible. Let me say it again. Abortion and the sanctity of all human life in the Bible. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you are created in the image of God, and who's that? Listen to me. If, if a person in this world is created in the image of God, who's that? That's everybody. That's everybody. Then we know, even though we have done our darndest to tell our consciences to shut up, we have done our very best. And in some people's cases, they've done a really good job. They've seared their conscience. They've been led astray. But if you're created by God, and that's every person in the world, we, listen, we know instinctively that abortion is murder and that it's wrong. 
if we're a Christian, we, we have this impulse, do we not, from the Bible? That there's no way I could, I could be honest with the Bible. There's no way I could be honest with the Bible and, and promote a woman's choice. That's actually the problem. That's actually the problem. A woman's freedom, a woman's autonomy. If you want to be autonomous, if you want to be free, you're free to go to an eternity of hell apart from God because God made no one to be autonomous. He made us, you answer to him, he sustains your life and breath. He did not make you to be autonomous. He made you to live in dependence upon him. That's exactly the problem. Abortion and the sanctity of all human life. It is, even in one sense, aside from scripture, all human beings made in the image of God know this. It's just that the whole world's led astray. And all of us, all of us have done a great job of, like the pilot with that black box, giving dire instructions. Turn it off. Shut off your conscience. Exodus chapter 21. Verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, Exodus 21, 22, so that her children come out, but there is no harm. One who hit her shall surely be fined. Let me stop for just a moment. And this, as I mentioned to you earlier, this heading is abortion and the sanctity of life in the whole Bible. I just want to spend a few minutes with this passage, but I just want to say for a minute that you could definitely look at plenty of other, you could do what I just said and look at abortion and the sanctity of life in the whole Bible. You could look at that, absolutely. So just just one example, uh, and I know I just started that and I'm going to, but just listen, just one example that we could have looked at is the incarnation, the incarnation. You know what that is? That's Christmas. That's God become man. And, 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 and Jesus in the incarnation doesn't become a person uh, once he exits uh, you know, the womb, he, by, it's by conception. Listen to the Bible. Luke one thirty five, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Uh, so the virgin birth is not accurate. Ultimately, it's the virginal conception. It's the virginal conception. And so we could have looked there. We you certainly could look Psalm 139, and, and I'll get back on track now. Exodus, you see what's going on? Verse 23, Exodus 21, 23. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. Notice this, this is called the lex talionis, law of retribution. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Again, the first part of verse 23 if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Can I remind you of what Brad read earlier? Listen, what does Jesus say to us? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Talking about our personal relations, right? Personal relations. And if anyone would sue you, Matthew 5, 40, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I bring that to our attention just because it goes directly with this passage. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Verses 23 through 25 of Exodus 21, as I say, give us what's been famously called the lex talionis. Uh, some people, just for a little bit of a quick background here, some people think, well, that, that right there represents how barbaric things were back then. That's actually not what's going on. The Lex Talionis, verses 23, does not represent how barbaric things were back then. A big part of what's going on was actually so that the, uh, the retribution or uh, so that it wouldn't go beyond what was called for. Do you see? So that you couldn't say, well, you did this to me. Now I am going to, I'm going to really mess you up. You did this to me. Now I'm going to exact revenge. You see, I'm going to exact revenge in a way that is far beyond reasonable. So this is not barbaric. This is actually put in place for the good of God's people. You see? But we haven't hit the main point. Because let me be clear. I don't bring up this passage because it directly addresses abortion in America today. But I do think that it would be wrong to say there are no, this passage has no bearing on abortion in America today. Or that there are no implications. You can see it on the surface, right? So let me just ask this question. What's the background? What's going on? And you don't have to be any type of scholar. It seems pretty clearly, right? It seems that there's two men fighting. And it's a little bit unusual, right? It's not like this is going to happen all the time. But that's why we should read the Bible. You know, it's God and it's his word. And he made provision for unusual circumstances that don't happen all the time. And so what seems clearly to be happening is that there's two men fighting who are obviously angry at each other. We can safely assume, I think, that they don't have any motivation or intention to hurt somebody else. They have an intention to hurt the one that they're fighting with. But what's going on is that there's a pregnant woman nearby. There's a pregnant woman nearby, two men who have come to fisticuffs. And it just so happens that her location near these fighting men has exposed her to danger. Again, probably not by their intent, probably by no ill will of, of their own hearts. But it has exposed them. So that's the, that's the basic idea of what's going on. You see, a pregnant woman has been exposed to danger because of her proximity to two fighting, listen, two fighting careless men. One lesson that you can take away from this, which is not my main lesson, is that God holds us responsible for things that happen through our carelessness, regardless of our motivation. Isn't that what it teaches Israel here? You see, wouldn't this teach Israel that God holds them responsible for possibly terrible things that happen? Oh, that wasn't my intent. I mean, that hits you in the face, doesn't it? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I lashed out at my child, but it wasn't my intent to hurt them. Yeah, I had a few too many drinks. I had a few too many drinks. It wasn't my intent to hurt anybody on the road. That's why, of course, as has been pointed out, that one parallel example to this is somebody who is given a penalty for drunk driving, even though they didn't hurt somebody, because why? Because they could have hurt somebody and because God values human life 
and because God values all human life. And so what does he say? I will not linger too long. He says, if there is no harm, you see that in verse 22. Maybe she delivers prematurely. Maybe she has triplets or twins or just one child. The text seems to make allowance for any of those circumstances. But if she delivers prematurely and mama and baby are fine, which by the way, we rejoice with the Williams and they told me immediately mama and baby are good. If she delivers prematurely because she was roughed up by accident in the fight, but everything's still okay at the end of the day, he still has to pay the consequences. If there is harm to the mother or the baby or both, then what's the consequence? Capital punishment, right? 23. But if there is harm, if two men are fighting and there's a pregnant woman in close proximity and she doesn't deliver early with everything being okay, but she miscarries, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. We have seen, number one, Proverbs in the Supreme Court. We have seen, number two, abortion and the sanctity of all human life and the Bible, specifically Exodus 21. There's a lot of passages. This one is like, okay, well, I didn't know that was there. That's interesting. Here, listen to Philip Ryken. Listen to what he says about this passage. A fetus is a person who deserves special protection. The law of God imposed strict penalties on anyone who harmed an unborn child. You get that? It treated the injury of an unborn child the same way it treated the injury of any other human being. By this standard, Riken says, performing an abortion is an act of murder for which the proper penalty is life for life. To put it bluntly, abortionists deserve the death penalty. It should be emphasized that this is a sentence no private individual ever has the right to execute. Killing a doctor who performs abortions is also murder because only the proper authorities have the right to use deadly force. Nevertheless, the proper legal category for abortion The proper legal category for abortion is murder with all the penalties that apply. Never in private vendetta, but as a matter of public justice. That's why we looked at the Ten Commandments earlier. Thank you for staying with me. I know we've already been a tad long. That's why we looked at the Ten Commandments. Exodus 21, Exodus 20. What does it say? You shall not murder. You shall not murder. If this is the case... By accident, Exodus 21, if this is how God thinks about an accidental case, then how does he feel about an intentional taking of life in the womb? Do you see? Do you see? Let me say that there is a debate going on very recently. Yes, even among Christians. Where should we fall on the spectrum? On this side of the spectrum, you see the woman who gets an abortion as mostly or totally as a victim. And on this side of the spectrum, you see that abortion is murder. 
and you see her as complicit in murder. And so Christians are debating even now, well, this side, no, this side is clearly right, and this side, and all I will say is I will go back, and I want to go back to Titus chapter 3 and the gospel, and I want to say that in, in one sense, I will gladly say that we're all victims in one sense because of various things, and we want to be sensitive. We want to be sensitive. We want to be careful. I'm thankful for those like, like Karen Portella who have labored in the trenches, and some of you, but we also want to say that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners, and murder is not the unpardonable sin. So we also, we also want to be careful not to say that anybody is only a victim. And certainly some women, even today, certainly those who are apoplectic are so celebrating without any blushing whatsoever that we want to say Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If you deny, if you deny that there's any murder involved on the part of the woman who gets an abortion, then you actually undercut her hope. You undercut her hope. You see? This is a time for prayer and work. This is a time for prayer all the more and work all the more. I say it's still a time to pause and to rejoice. It's a miracle. Is that too strong of language? It's a marvel. There's more that could be said. There's so much more that could be said. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. This is not, this is not, 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 not a partisan political issue. This is life. This is the incarnation, which is the greatest miracle ever. God the Son took on human flesh and love lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father. And in him there is grace and truth. And in the Lord Jesus Christ there is abundant forgiveness of sins for all of us. The battle that we wage is not according to the flesh. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, help us to understand and to know and help us to embrace the gospel. But Lord, we cannot do that if we refuse to see ourselves as sinners deserving your wrath. We put ourselves out of hope if we focus on our decency. Lord, help us not to focus on our goodness and on our decency. Only you can make us good through Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one. Help us to see that apart from you, we too were, we, we, we were doing what we thought was right. We were doing what came natural. We were doing what seemed right. We were, 
we were talking about a freedom and a woman's choice, and we were doing these things that just seemed so right. But for your grace, but for your intervention, help us to pray and to work. Help us to focus on the gospel. Lord, help us also to pause and to celebrate. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Help us as a country in these days ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 